0: Well, good morning, church. Everybody good? Y'all wait. Got your coffee? Y'all ready for this? All right. Hey, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Exodus. All right. Super, super easy to find. If you're new to Bible study, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And then what book? Exodus. All right. Good. Um, y'all all went to cemetery. I mean, seminary. Um, Uh, That was a joke, but, man, it's so good to see you guys. Man, it's hard to believe that's the first, like, Sunday of summer, right? Um, If you have kids in school, if you're like us, I'm praising God that we don't have to do that whole routine. Um, It is this crazy school year, all that kind of stuff, so it's summer. Uh, Be praying for our middle school students, and Brandon, our student coordinator, and the rest of the leaders, they leave this afternoon for a middle school beach camp. So Brandon will be sleep-deprived um, all week, and so be praying for them and just be praying that God does an amazing work in the life of our middle school students across all of our campuses. And, um, and then also, as um, Matt just said, Baptism Sunday, I know many of you, we've had these conversations, and I know a lot of times it's like, well, I was baptized as an infant, what does that mean? Or I'm scared, I don't want everybody looking at me. Man, take the step, all right, stop being... Uh, Captain Sissy Pants, do it. All right. So, um, man, step into that. God's calling you to do that. It's a step of obedience. We want to celebrate that as a church. So just be in contact with me or whatever. But this morning, I'm super pumped because we're starting this brand new series called Into the Wilderness. Now, I was talking... Out in the lobby with a couple of people. Doesn't that sound like a pretty epic series? Like into the wilderness. I feel like I should have like a bow and arrow or like a machete or something up here. But Into the Wilderness is gonna be this series that over the next 10 weeks, we are going to be looking through the first half of the book of Exodus. And it's this old testament book that we're gonna be studying. And you might be thinking, I'm just gonna hit this right right out front. Why why are we studying Exodus? Like everything that's going on in the world. I don't know about you, but but for me too, it's like, can't we do a series like How to Be a Better Parent, How to Disciple Our Kids, How to Get Out of Debt? Can't we do something like How to Have a Quiet Time? What about prayer? What does that look like? And those things are important, don't get me wrong. But what I love about this is the reason that we are going to study the book of Exodus is because ultimately, this entire book, and this is going to be a no brainer is all about who god is and this is what's so important i'm a firm believer of this is that for you and i for us to have the a right view and a right relationship of god impacts everything that we do it impacts and affects every felt need every circumstance how we view god determines a lot about how we walk through life and how we do this as followers of christ and so If you want a a better marriage, how do you view God? If you want to be a better steward of your finances, okay, what's your view of God? If you wanted to disciple your kids so they're not hellions or like pastor kids, you know, like, you know, how do you view God? All of these things. And so my hope, my prayer, along with our teaching team across all of our campuses is as we walk through this the next 10 weeks, is that you and I would grow in our relationship in such a way with God that it goes from maybe surface level or maybe just routine to really something that you are viewing God in a more intimate way, that you are really seeing God and knowing God in a clear way. For many of us, some of us this morning, you haven't talked to God, you know of God, you believe of God, but you don't really have that relationship per se. And so my hope and my prayer is that As we walk through this, we'll unpack it and it will really help those things because if you're serious about life, then really the bottom line is as we walk through Scripture anytime, understanding God is so foundational about how we approach every little thing that we we come to. So this morning, just as a disclaimer, as we start uh, a book study like this, there's a lot of information, a lot of context. I always try to give um, on, on a Sunday morning because I don't think it would do us any good if we're like, all right, let's just read the passage and not understand what's happening, what's going on, some context, some Um, some understanding of it. And so this morning, we're going to be pretty text heavy as chapter one and chapter two uh, are really setting the stage and painting the picture of the entire book of Exodus. So we're going to walk through that. Um, And so there will be a lot of Bible verses that we'll be reading and be following along. I mean, I don't know about you, I kind of like the Bible. So um, if you're complaining, sorry about that. But um, we're going to walk through this together. But as I mentioned, this is the second book of the Bible. And um, it's really the second book of what is known as the Pentateuch. Say that with me, Pentateuch, Pentateuch, meaning um, the book of five or five books. And traditionally, um, the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch were really kind of this, Uh, We're the core of the early Christian faith, if you will, of understanding who God is and walking with him. Moses is the writer um, of these, and and so we see this. And what we have to understand is that the book of Exodus, while it's an an incredible narrative and story, it cannot sit like in isolation. That really the book of Exodus can't just be in this vacuum of it's just, hey, here's a book. It is really a chapter in a much bigger story of scripture. And we cannot just say, okay, here's like an isolated event that has nothing to do with anything. It all plays into each other and is connected in the Old Testament. Now, let me just kind of throw this out there, is that I think oftentimes, I know early on in my Christian walk, um, I did this. A lot of times when it comes to Old Testament text, we can kind of... I guess on a plane or spectrum of things, look at it and say, that happened a long time ago, it has nothing relevant to say to me, it has nothing to do with where I'm at right now. Or we look at it as kind of folklore, like it's kind of like Johnny and the Appleseed type story or Paul Bunyan, this kind of this, this stuff out there, it's kind of make believe it sounds good, but it's not true. And we have to be very, very careful because what ends up happening oftentimes when we approach the Old Testament text is I know a lot of people will kind of hit on a couple verses here and there and pull them out of context. And then what ends up happening is they misrepresent scripture. They misalign this one passage and they say that's who God is. In a lot of ways you probably have heard this. I know I've heard it that the Old Testament is just about an angry God who kills a bunch of people and I I can't believe and follow a God like that. You probably have heard that it's taking verses that are out of context and the way that I've always tried to explain this as Exodus is just a chapter in this bigger picture is um, oftentimes we approach scripture like a buffet can I get amen okay is that and this is what I mean by this is that oftentimes when we go to the old testament we pick and choose what we like and we take it out of context and we we miss the entire experience now I, I'm all for a buffet. Do y'all like buffets? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. I know we're in hiding, okay? But I love a buffet. Now, let's say that you and I, uh, I invite you to a really, really nice buffet, like Golden Corral Nice, all right? And is there such thing? I'm not sure, but um, they have the chocolate fountain, fountain. so I'll go there. I couldn't tell you the last time I was there. But let's say, I, I, I say, let's, let's go to Golden Corral. We go to Golden Corral, and I don't know, you don't have to say this out loud because then you would like reveal that you've been lately. But I think it's like 25 bucks a person or something like that. It, they're expensive. And so let's just say we go, I treat you, where you sit down and you're like, hey, Dustin, thanks so much for bringing me to this buffet. I'm like, hey, no problem, but I got one rule. You can only have one thing at this entire buffet. I mean, that would mess up the buffet experience, all right? Because there's two reasons you go to, go to a buffet. One, to eat a lot of food, right? and two, to eat whatever you want, all right? Like if you, if you don't want that chicken over there, pass on it. Get the Salisbury steak, okay, whatever. Get whatever you want. It would be missing the experience of the buffet. And here's why I say this, is that when we just pick and choose scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we're missing out on this incredible experience of God showing us and revealing himself to us like never before, And the thing is, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it all points to Jesus. And so it's something that we should be thankful for and study. And so over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be going through this. And I think it's so important for us to just engage, to lean in, to immerse ourselves in this. And so a couple things, just before we really dig in is we said this last week, uh, you have one of these reading plan cards. Make sure you grab this. Um, You can see on each date, read that before that Sunday so you can just prepare your hearts for what God is wanting to say. And it's an easy way if you are like, I'm just, I don't know how to read the Bible. Man, just pick it up and start reading. This is super easy and little sections. Prepare your hearts um, for this. But also let me challenge you with this, which I'm so encouraged this morning. I know being the first Sunday of summer, that oftentimes this summer, I know we have vacations. I'm not trying to be legalistic about it. But oftentimes it's like, hey, let's just sleep in. Let's not be lazy this summer. Let's be consistent in our attendance. Um, I I'll, I'll always wonder what would happen if everybody who called this place home showed up on one Sunday? Because we have some that are like, hey, once a month's good. Every other week is good for us. And I know things happen, all right? So I'm not trying to be legalistic. But let's be here. Let's be consistent. Uh, this past week, Our 11-year-old, he's not in here, so I can embarrass him. We were going over the the weekend. We had some graduation parties, some different errands to run as our boys were going to camp. And I said, hey, we have church on Sunday, and we have this. And our youngest goes, ah. Church on Sunday, pastor's kid, right? And he's like, and this is what he said, I kid you not. He said, I didn't think we went to, I thought, I thought we stopped doing church in the summer. <laughs> That's what he said. And, and I was like, well, some people do believe that. All right. So don't be those people. All right. Uh, so be here. We'll dive in and kind of walk through this. But let's go through. I'm going to cover, like I said, lots of text. We'll be in chapter one and chapter two. And let me kind of paint the picture here to give us some context this morning. All ready? All right. So it's been about 400 years since God showed up to this guy named Abraham. And if you remember this story, he told Abraham, Hey, listen, leave everything that you know. Go this way. I'm not going to tell you where you're going, but eventually your ancestors, I'm going to provide them this place that is known as the promised land. And it's going to be an incredible, incredible place. But I want you just to obey my words. So Abraham leaves God makes this covenant with Abraham that he is going to, out of Abraham's obedience, going to multiply and bless his family lineage, you know, and say, I'm going to do this amazing, amazing work. So Abraham, he does this. So it's been about 400 years. That's a long time. And what we have are the Israelites. God has blessed them tremendously as they have grown. They've grown into 12 different tribes all throughout Israel. And the people there, um, we see there's priests, there's prophets, there's kings that come from all of these different tribes. Jesus, being the main character out of the tribe of Judah, comes out of that that we see in the New Testament. But unfortunately, what ends up happening is the Israelite people become under um, bondage and slavery under King Pharaoh. And King Pharaoh doesn't like this growth. He's actually threatened by it. And he really has two fears. One, that the growth of the Israelites, the Hebrew nation, the people of God, that they're growing so rapidly that, one, that they could join Pharaoh's enemies and turn on King Pharaoh. He didn't like that. Or that they would just escape. And you have to think that in this time, being enslaved to King Pharaoh, they were the the workforce. They were the labor. And so for them to leave, it would be detrimental to the kingdom that Pharaoh had built all around himself. And so they are enslaved and in bondage, and you would have to be thinking, as the people of God, what in the world is God up to? This doesn't look like the promised land. Are you with me? That you made this, this promise, my grandma, my grandma's grandma, and all them told us that we were going to be in this place of, that was flowing with milk and honey, and this place stinks, and we're working tremendously, and I hate life, and all these things. Where is God in this moment? And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And so this is where we're at. And so let's, let's kind of read some scripture. Let's let God speak this morning. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to read um, verses 8 through 14 first. So it'll be on the screen. You can follow along. It says this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So come Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh uh, store cities, uh, Pithome, and Ramses. But the more that they, they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more that they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Slaves. So you see this oppressed people that King Pharaoh is oppressing them. He's over them. He is, uh, they're slaves, making them work, building these bricks. And it's not like they just went to Home Depot and got some bricks, right? So they're making, mixing sand. Um, I went on probably the hardest mission trip of my life uh, to a remote village. It was so remote. Uh, remote part of Jamaica sounds like oh that sounds good let's go to all-inclusive no you don't want to go to this part okay we went we were mixing concrete by hand and they um, they were like on these hillsides so we had to carry 100 pound bags of cement and sand and all the jugs of water to mix And I'm going to tell you it was the worst labor of my life and I like to work actually So you might be like, you're a pastor, you don't use your hands. I love it, okay? I like to work. And so the slaves, the uh, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt doing this horrible, horrible work. They became bitter about it. They were hating life. So listen to what happens. Because no matter what Pharaoh did, they continued to grow. So then in verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of um, whom was named Shephram and other, Puah, Uh, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And they did not do this as the king of Egypt uh, commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? Like, why did you disobey my command? The midwife said to Pharaoh, hey, listen, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. They don't need the the midwife's help. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and they grew very strong. So they continued to grow. God blessed the midwives, let them start families, protected them from King Pharaoh's hand and death in this, but it wasn't enough. And so King Pharaoh said, said, said enough is enough. If that's not going to work, I want to empower the entire uh, town and city. If you see a baby boy being born, take him and throw him into the Nile. Can you imagine that? Just ruthless. He was so jealous of the people coming up, he's now stealing Hebrew male babies from people and throwing them into the Nile River. So you have this this happening. And then in chapter 2, we see Moses, the main character other than God, come on the scene with his birth. So chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, She hid him three months. And when she could not hide him any longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed in uh, bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. So she takes and she puts baby Moses into a basket and floats him down the Nile River to save his life. Now, I just think this is funny. Some of you take God way too seriously, and you should in some regards, but he also has a sense of humor because I love this. Moses writes this book, and it's so funny because he's telling his birth narrative, really, and he's like, hey, I was born and I was a fine child. Now, this is what's funny. Some translations, your translation might say he was beautiful. Now, think about this. Like, if I'm writing a book, I'd be like, yeah, Dustin, he's pretty hot, you know? Uh Uh-huh. He's pretty good looking. Now, I know this is not a popular opinion. I'm just going to say it because everybody's thinking it. There are such things as non-cute babies, okay? Um, Just no one is going to tell you that if you have it, okay? If you have a baby and they're ugly, your friends are not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you this. Now, maybe this is like some, you know, our three boys are adopted. Our first two, man, we were like, they are so cute, right? They're so cute. I mean, you're a parent. You should think you should not think your kid's ugly, but when Noah was born and we were bringing him home from the hospital, uh, we, me and Sloan honestly were like, I sure hope he's as cute as Zion and triumphant because it'd mess it up. And I'm going to tell you, Noah looked like a wet bird, okay? <laughs> he had like hair on his forehead. Literally, we sent pictures and people were like, what's that on his forehead? We're like, hair. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on, you know? Like comes out like unibrow or whatever. So... Anyway, I just think it's hilarious that Moses is writing this and is like, he was a fine child. You know, like he was, he was really pretty uh, or beautiful in this sense, you know, to think about this. But this is what happens. So Moses is put in this basket as the infant goes on. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. She's on the, on the edge of the Nile River, finds him. She can't nurse him, so she finds a Hebrew mom to nurse. And when he's old enough, comes into the palace of King Pharaoh and is raised really in royalty. So he has this extreme. Well, when he gets old enough, he leaves the palace. He goes out to be with the common folk. And when he goes out there, he sees an Egyptian beating somebody. It's a Hebrew that looks like Moses, talks like Moses. And and so Moses is like, this is not okay. So I love what scripture says because this is what you and I would do, men, in the room if this was happening. It says that he looked this way and that and seeing that no one was there, he went and he killed this Egyptian man. I mean, he wore him out. That's what we say in the South, okay? Wore him out. And, and so what ends up happening, that goes back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets word of this, and then Pharaoh says, I'm killing him. I'm killing him. So Moses flees. And he flees to a place called Midian, and he's in wilderness for about 40 years, we see in Scripture. But here's the, the, really the fulcrum of where we're going this morning with all of this context, it brings us to verses 23 through 25. And this gets really, really personal, really, really quick. And I got to be really quick in this. It says, during those, those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, in these three verses is really the fulcrum of the entire book. That what Moses is writing and what we're going to see and unpack in the weeks to come are these very principles that that is being said that as the people of Israel cry out to God, he hears them, he sees them, he knows them. Now, let's just bring it to you and I for a minute. If we were to be honest this morning, I hope you will be, is that when we go through difficult times, usually the number one question that you and me ask is, where is God? Where is he? It seems like we're going through this difficult situation. You know the Israelites are thinking about this. But for you and me, when we're going through a hardship, and you might be going through one right now as we speak, the question is, where is God? And I think this is a common misconception in the, in the Christian faith, if I was to add an uh, additional week to the series we just did on counterfeit gospel is we have bought into this idea that God, you probably have heard this statement, God will not give you more than you can handle. That is not true. It's not in Proverbs. It's not in hesitations, okay? It's not in some made up book. Man, it is made up because I, I actually believe the opposite. I believe that God gives us things that we cannot handle. Why? So that we can trust him. So that we can look to him because we are at the bottom and saying, I can't do it. If we could handle everything, we wouldn't need God. And so here is this moment that the Israelite people are, man, they are desperate and they cry out groaning. God hears them. And I know this might be not sound like a popular statement, but it is true. That their pain and their suffering, there is a purpose and God allowed it. And we don't like to think that way. We think so many times that Christianity comes with an easy button. It doesn't. Suffering and pain and hurt are a part of God's plan. They are things, too, that God uses and will orchestrate and to get our attention through and to help us grow and to change us and all of those different things. And right here, what we're going to see in the next few weeks is that God is right there. He is working, and in this fulcrum of these three verses... It is God's perfect timing that He is about to do something amazing, and if you know the story of Exodus, you know what I'm talking about. But we're gonna walk through this and the weeks to come. But two really, really quick points that I just—they're really reminders of anything this morning, the next five minutes. One, God knows. God knows. This this incident didn't surprise God. He's like, oh, I didn't know they were enslaved. I better clean this act up. You know, like what's—he wasn't caught off guard. It was on purpose. He knows what circumstances you are going through right now. He sees your circumstances. He knows. He's not oblivious to it. Just because you don't understand why you're going through it doesn't mean that God has nothing to do with it or that, um, you know, that he's oblivious to what you're going through right now. Man, he knows. He knew what the Israelites were going through. We're about to see that unfold in, in the weeks to come. Secondly, we also see under God knows he hears our cries. He's hearing the people of God. He hears their moaning and groaning. He hears you. As you cry out to God, he hears you. And I love this about God. We see a God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. He wants you and me to come to him, to ask, to talk. Ask as much as you want. Talk as much as you want. It's so awesome to kind of see this picture of our heavenly father saying, come ask. I'm not bothered by it. Let's be honest, earthly dads, if I tell my kids, ask me one more time, it's like a warning, right? God's not in heaven saying, oh my goodness, Dustin, you asked me that one more time. No, he's like inviting us in. He wants to hear our voice. He wants to hear the pain. He wants to hear the hurt. He wants to hear the request. He wants to hear the worship he wants to hear the thanksgiving he wants all of that we're not bothering him he wants us to come to us because he knows and then he remembers his promise now now you might be like well did he forget no he didn't like forget get like oh yeah i forgot about that really if you look at the original language in this what it really means is is really the best way i can describe it is that right here the people of god have god's undivided attention he didn't forget, but he's like, okay, this is my timing right here. Coming all, it's playing all into my plan. It's coming. This is the perfect timing that he remembers this. And so let me say this, if you're taking notes this morning, and I, I, I really pray you write this somewhere where you can see this all the time. We need this reminder that God's delays are not evidence of unconcern. Just because it's not working out in your favor. It's not according to your plan. You feel like your needs are not being met. All those things does not mean that God doesn't care, that he is unconcerned with where you're at. You're going through whatever you're going through right now to, for you to grow in your faith and for you to trust God in a more intimate and personal way, not just from a distance. And so think about that. The second point, not only does God know, but God moves. I love this song, Waymaker, Um, I don't know if you you enjoy it, but there's a bridge in that song that says this Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. I love that because scripture even says that for you and me, we want to see signs and wonders, we want to see the physical evidence of God working. I'm telling you, these, these, or, um, these Israelites in this, they wanted to see the movement of God. They are tired of slavery. They're tired of the crummy circumstances and working as hard as they were. And they desperately wanted to see God rescue them. And they're crying out for it. And God is about to move in such an incredible, incredible way. And to use Moses, the little orphan that was sent down the Nile River, to prove that God hasn't left. That he is still working. So here's my closing thought this morning. And then the band will lead us in a closing song. But isn't it interesting and ironic to think about this? The circumstances that we ask God to change are often the circumstances that God uses to change us. Think about that for a second. When we're going through a difficult time, God, I need you to remove this. I need you to change this. I need you to do this right now. It is miserable. It is a hard circumstance. I feel like I'm enslaved. I feel like it's this really, really bad. Where are you, God? Where are you? And what's so interesting about how God works is the the very circumstances we ask Him to change, God uses to change you and me, to make us better men and women, fathers and mothers, co workers believers to us, for us to increase in our faith to him. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to take one minute for all of us. I know we all have busy lives, but before I pray for you, just where you're at, if you, if you would, you can put up your Bible, you know, I'm not going to say any thought provoking things, you know, but I want you to just close your Bible and I just want you to bow your head, just rest and be still with God. And just for a minute, Whatever you're holding on to right now, whatever's stressing you out, whatever's bringing anxiety, bringing that pain, bringing that hurt, I want you just to give it to God. I want you just to say, God, I, I can't do this anymore. I need you to take this. And I don't want you to say it just because it's what we're doing right now or some kind of lip service. I want you to mean it. And I want you, this just to be a, a time of response. So with your eyes closed, I'm just going to give us a minute of silence. Talk to God. Give it to him. Let him hear you. He knows you. He sees you. He wants to move in your life. Just talk to him in this this moment. come to you this morning knowing that many of us if not all at times in our lives doubt that you are even present and so God as we come to you just as your church as broken people that are carrying all kind of anxiety and stress and hurt just worry Father that in this moment we're giving those things to you you see them you know them you're hearing our, our cries this morning. We are begging you to take those things from us. And it's not that they has automatically disappear from our lives, but let the burden that we are carrying be given to you in such a way that we place our hope in you and not in those things. That, God, that we leave this place not enslaved to that, that worry and anxiety, but we are made free because of you. And Father, I'm so thankful that Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us fully. So God, let us live in such a way that we trust you because you know and you see. You know exactly what's going on and we want you to move. And God, I I firmly believe that this summer you are going to do a radical work in our lives here. our church and our campuses. But right here, I selfishly pray for Upstate Church Five Forks, that God, people come to know you like never before. And that God, that you will move because we're giving our lives and surrendering those things that hold us back to you. So as we worship, let us worship a God that's breaking those chains. Let us worship because Jesus, because he is the one that gives us eternity and freedom. So in your son's name, we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand with confidence this morning. Let's worship. Let's raise our voices and sing to a God that wants to hear you this morning.